continue with the rest of the series, and then you won't have to think about the spiritual growth studies for your group for two years. It's a 51-week series. Nobody's ever going to finish it in 51 weeks because we have holidays and we have vacations and we have time off. We have mission work. So it's about two years to finish this study. And I don't know about the rest of you, but as a leader and as a small group member, I just think it's a wonderful thing to not have to think about what's next for a while. You just grab the next book. We even tell you what order to do them in. So Jesus told us in John 15, 18, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. We plant the seeds in our non-believer friends. God saves them. And then it is our job to teach and train them to be disciple-making disciples. Groups are forming now, so if your friends don't want to do this, stop by the connector and fill out one of these cards and we will find you a group. And now, three years ago, if somebody had told me that Stephanie Morrissey would be one of my best friends, <laughs> I would have told them they were out of their mind. Out of their mind. I don't believe there's a day that goes by that we don't talk, text, see each other. And if we do... It's like 11.30 at night, we're texting because our day's not complete. Her life has been changed in the last 17 months, and I want her to share that with you. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Stephanie Morrissey. I'm the children's minister here at Good Shepherd. I never considered this job when planning my life. My many years of volunteering and, um, no, my many years of volunteering, because that's what you're supposed to do when you have a children in the ministry, is to be involved, allowed me to get to know these kids of GSUMC, learn their needs, and grow to love them. Even when the children's minister position became available, I didn't think I had the credentials to fill these shoes, and I didn't really want to. Many people suggested that I apply, so I prayed about it. And at that time in my life, I was not an avid prayer. But I prayed and asked God what I should do. I wasn't quite sure then what it was that pushed me to pursue this career path, but I did, and here I am in year three of ministering to the children of Good Shepherd. During my first year, 2019, I was setting up for our annual Trunk or Treat community event. As I was finishing up my afternoon, Shelly McBurney was sitting at the volunteer desk in the lobby. Side note, Shelly and I were acquaintances, friendly, but not at all close. She stopped me and said, I'm worried about your spiritual walk. A little confused, I leaned in for questioning. I mean, I'm the children's minister. Why is my spiritual walk of any concern? 
I explained my spiritual routines when preparing for lessons. My spiritual walk was good. She asked me to join her small group, along with Kim Grubb and Virginia Yancey, at 9.30 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Immediately, I was like, yeah, okay, knowing it wasn't going to work. My understanding of a small group is a group of peers, people my age, studying together as Christians, doing life together. Her small group did not fit my definition of small group. But Shelley McBurney is looking at me in the eye, asking me to do something. Who says no to Shelley McBurney? Exactly. Does she not know me at all? I am not a morning person. I am pretty selfish with my time, especially my Saturdays. But I agreed, saying that I would try it, knowing full well I would go for a couple of weeks and soon feel that this small group was not for me. My first visit to her small group, a hot breakfast was ready. I'm not a breakfast person, but I ate, and man, did I relish that meal. After some prayer and fellowship, a covenant was put in front of me. I was like, whoa, but okay, I'll take it home. I'll look over it. I'm not signing this today. I enjoyed that week's lesson on Mary and Martha, and I started to consider that maybe I could learn from these ladies. They do have 15-plus years of experience on me and insight and relationship. Before we ended the meeting, Shelley mentioned this series called Discipleship Essentials and really, really wanted the group to do it, raved about it. I'm not big on series or even structured Bible studies. I grew up in church and in the Word, but literally in the Word. Sunday school classes, we opened our Bible, we read, we studied. High school Bible study, same thing. No special books, no questions to answer at the end of a reading. I did not want to do this. And on top of it, she wanted $40 for a series of eight books. It was almost like Shelley knew people didn't tell her no. And if you did, you were on her bad list. And I did not want to be on Shelley McBurney's bad list. I don't want to be on anybody's bad list. So I acted excited and started my week, my week-long preparation of coming up with an excuse on why I couldn't do it. My first engagement in that small group was December of 2019. My latest engagement in this small group was yesterday. (laughs) So, what's so glorious about discipleship essentials that keeps getting harped on? Well, I was a Sunday and Wednesday Christian. Prayed semi-regularly, served when it suited me, and volunteered because I was begged to, and I had a lot of fun. I was a good Christian. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't wrong. I'm a good Christian. And heck, I'm a disciple-making disciple. It's pretty much my job description. But Discipleship Essentials has taught me to be a better Christian and a better disciple-making disciple. Book one, Small Groups, was a great book. The spark 
to start my fire. Book two, Faith Essentials, even better, Fuel Added. And the deeper into the series, I have fallen in love with Discipleship Essentials. My small group is now starting the final book of the series. And in just five weeks, we will be sad to close the final week of this final book. But knowing what I know now and learning what I have learned, I am more excited and ready to go, to go make disciples. This series' main focus is on Acts 2.42. The disciples were devoted to the teachings of the apostles, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I'm going to break that down real quick. The disciples, not the disciples, but the believers, you, me, anyone who believes in Jesus. I am going to read, what did I do with my books? A quick section of one of the passages. It says, you do not have to completely arrive before you can start making disciples. The truth is, you will never arrive. So you can start being part of the process of making disciples the minute you received Christ. In fact, being in the process of reaching people and making disciples will even aid in your growth as a disciple. So we could say that seeking to build more disciples helps you become a disciple. And as you become a disciple, it will cause you to want to build more disciples. And the word devoted, pretty strong, sometimes scary word. So I'll say driven, driven to do these things. This series will drive you. You won't be able to, nor will you want to stop it. That's God doing his thing. Breaking bread. I mean, we're not just Methodists, but we're people. We eat all the time. I bet it's safe to say that most of your interactions with others involves food. Before I mentioned I was not a breakfast person, I am now. My tummy cries out on Saturday mornings on my drive to small group. And fellowship, we were created to be together. Life was meant to be lived with others. We were meant to be accountable to one another and to God and to share life's ups and downs. So there's two. Two of the four essentials of a disciple. How many of us can raise our hand and say we fellowship and eat with others? So, here's where the challenge begins. Teaching, teachings of the apostles. I've heard many people say that they know the Bible in and out, forward and backward. But it's not about knowing the Bible. It's about studying the teachings of the Bible. One of my most favorite parts of meeting with my small group is hearing everyone's take on Scripture. I can't count the number of aha moments that I have had. And I like to pat myself on the back when I give Shelly Camera Virginia an aha moment. It's easy to give kids an aha moment, but adults who are older and more experienced than me, that makes me jiggle and pout duck lips. Prayer. I'm all about praying. God and I, we're pretty good buds. But in a setting with adults, with kids, it's easy. Two or three sentences and an amen. 
but it hasn't been just about group prayer. In fact, it's the fact that I have people to pray for and that I have people pray for me. So instead of my personal prayers usually being all about me or my family, I've grown to want to pray for my small group and the needs that they have. So my prayer life has grown immensely. I did not need or want another weekly appointment to add to my calendar. But I do now need and want to meet with my small group every week. I have grown spiritually beyond what I have ever imagined. I have altered my attitude as a Christian. Our shirts go, this isn't in the books, it's a logo that we've come up with. And there's only, if, if there's only one thing that I have learned from this series, even though there are tons and tons, it's that Jesus asked us to do two things. First is the great commandment, to love God and to love others. And the second is the great commission, to go and make disciples. Nothing has twisted my arm about gaining these desires It's all God working on me and in me through this series with my small group. If Jesus was standing in front of you today and asked you to do two things, would you do it? The Great Commission and the Great Commandment are no different. He is asking us to do anything hard. He is not asking us to do anything hard or death-defying. He's simply asking us to love. Many of us feel that there's a lot of expectations of disciples, and it can seem hard. But God will make it easy, and the discipleship series will make it a passion. When we love someone or something, we talk about it. Others hear about our new love, and they likely want it too, or something like it. Jesus just wants us to love and to share that love. Another reading is, Just remember that someone spoke to you about Jesus at some point in your life. You heard the message because someone loved you enough to share it with you. I'm so grateful that Shelly loved me enough to invite me to her small group and honored that Kim and Virginia listened to God and accepted me with open arms. I have a group of ladies that I know I can depend on no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, and no matter why. I have gained a best friend that I never would have imagined in Shelly McBurney. Not a day goes by without a call or a text. I love you, Shelly, and Kim, and Virginia, and Magnum, Shelly's cat, though his feelings are not mutual. I am forever blessed, thankful, and honored to be a member of this group. Words I thought I would never say. So thank you, ladies. Thank you, God. And since I have started another small group, of ladies, my peers, also going through the discipleship series. It was supposed to be a four-week meeting of the first book. At the end of those four weeks, the group wanted to continue through the series. And though we are almost through book two, I've had more aha moments that I didn't encounter the first time. Another reason to not just know the Bible, but to study the Bible There's something different each time. Something you didn't notice, something you didn't understand, or a new perspective because you're with different people 
or you're in a different phase in life than you were when you read it the first time. So I stand here today in front of you asking and encouraging each one of you to get into a small group. Do the first book. Four weeks, ten minutes a day, one meeting a week. And see what God does in that time. Be vulnerable. Open your heart those four weeks. Let God in and make that weekly appointment. Just four weeks. Any excuse that you can possibly come up with, I've already thought of it. It doesn't work. Let it go. For four weeks. Whatever that excuse is, you're too busy, you're too tired, you have practice, or you already know how God wants you to be a disciple. Oh, man. Whatever the Sorry. <laughs> Just give it four weeks of your full attention to God. Let Jesus meet you where you are in your life and let him work through you and meet his request to become a disciple-making disciple. And please, share with us your aha moments. We love the aha moments. If you think there's something special that you need to be a disciple-making disciple, consider this. Jesus came to start the movement to accomplish his mission. In order to leave his mission and movement in the hands of competent leaders, they had to be developed. The individuals he chose to be his leaders had to have a spiritual birth and spiritual growth before they would ever be in the position to lead the movement. Jesus accomplished this through discipleship. He took a hand a handful of ordinary and uneducated men and gave them the knowledge and experience they needed to be mature enough to lead his movement. The next generation will not be able to keep the mission and the movement of Christ going unless we are developing spiritually mature disciples that can lead. This is why the church desperately needs the, the making disciples that make disciples. If we do not make disciples the way Jesus did, the whole movement of Christianity will come to a screeching halt. Every believer should be part of a discipleship process that helps them to connect to a small group where they can become more like Jesus. They need to connect to a growth environment where they move from infancy up to adulthood. This environment needs to have a balance of both knowledge and experience. And it should begin with the basics of the faith and lead to deeper, deeper truths of Scripture. So I encourage you once again to please give four weeks. Give it a try. It will change your life even when you're not trying to let it. Thank you. Thank you, Steph. Um, Davis, we're going to... Do what I am always afraid to do. Since Stephanie was talking, God was talking to me as well. So we're going to step back a little bit. I'm going to probably do most of this, but we ain't going to start there. So Stephanie was talking about discipleship. One of the things that really came back to me is something that we had this conversation 
for six years now in, in men's ministry, and that really is, is that what we're trying to do is teach the Jesus model, teach the Jesus method. And think about the life of Jesus. And I, I'm going to take you way back in the life of Jesus. So Jesus was born, right? Celebrate Christmas, Jesus was born. We don't know a lot about that, 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 that young adulthood, but we know that Jesus was a carpenter. And back in those days, you didn't go to carpentry school. You learned at the feet of your father. And as I look at, at some of the things that, um, that were shared with me today for the communion table, I, I think about a lot of stuff, but uh, I think about, you know, the, the, the way that I learned to tie a tie was that my dad taught me. So as I look at these ties, I mean, these ties are, wow, they are their history in my life. Uh, every one of these ties was given to me along my ministry, so... Each one has a story, um, including my friend the panda bear. But the reason I have those ties is because my dad took time to teach me how to tie a tie. It's not something that you just kind of, well, today you learn it on the web. I get that, but I'm ancient, okay? So I was before internet. So the way that you learned that was from dad or mom but but my dad taught me how to tie ties and I've forgotten most of the the knots because I'm lazy but there's one that I use and it's this one and it always stays that way the other thing I was I was sharing about today is it's today's the first day of summer and I'm wearing long sleeves why well my dad told me you never wear a tie with short sleeve shirt (laughs) you just don't do it I jokingly said, my dad has been out of my life for 37 years. I did not want him to come back today and correct me. (laughs) But then as I look at all of the other carpentry tools that Sandy shared with me, things that were in her family, many of them, I think about Jesus sitting at the feet of his dad early on, watching him make And then how Jesus probably, and I mean, this might challenge your faith, but Jesus probably made a couple mistakes building. (laughs) Jesus was perfect, but, uh, you know, carpentry skills take a little bit. And probably like a loving dad, Jesus' father corrected him. And Jesus became a master builder. I'm sure of that. Because he watched his dad work. Discipleship is really a lot like that, isn't it? It's gathering. And I think that's where the Jesus model comes. Is Jesus learned that the best way that we can become disciples, that the best way that his disciples could have become disciples was by watching and being in fellowship, being at the table, good little Jews all around the world, even today, celebrate around the table. That's where they tell the story. That's why we gather at Passover, to hear the story of how God has provided protection for the people of Israel throughout history. It's a story that's told around the table. And, and intermixed in that whole story, 
our prayers thanking God for what God did. And as Stephanie so eloquently pointed out, Jesus told his disciples, who had become disciples at that point, to get out and go do something. Actually, he was a little more polite than that. He said, go into all the world, teaching and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and reminding them of everything that I've told you. And that's where we get Scripture. Because those people gathered around Jesus, those people gathered around people of faith, the prophets and all, and they studied and they heard the story. Understand this book that we call the Bible, this thing wasn't printed back then. It was an oral history. And the way that you did that is you, you gathered and sat at the feet of, of folks. You gathered in, wow, we call it small groups. <laughs> to learn and to be. So we talked about gathering around the table. And, and you know, Jesus was, was kind of unique in the Passover meal. Jesus gathered his friends together for that Passover meal. And that's where he taught them the importance of his death and resurrection. This is my body, he said, broken for you. This is my blood given for you and for all for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you do in memory of me. Jesus gathered all of his friends together for a time of fellowship. Every time learning took place, it was because they had gathered somewhere, many times around food, sometimes at the edge of the water, sometimes in the mountains. Cheap plug. In January of next year, I'm taking folks to Israel. If you're interested in that, please let me know. Because that's really a bunch of years ago when I went the first time. That's where Scripture took on feet. That's where it became real for me. As I began to see, it wasn't just a story. There was a place called the Jordan. There was a place called the Temple. And even though the Temple's not there, we been there. We've been on that site and we, we celebrated what happened with telling the story. And this week we're going to talk about Scripture or the Apostles' teaching. And isn't that really the telling of the story? While we can't sit at the feet of the Apostles, we can sit at the foot of the Bible hearing the accounts of the Apostles, of the teachers, of Jesus Himself, and what He did, and how they taught the church to live. If anything, my friends, this is nothing like I had planned, Davis. And you don't have anything up yet, so that's good. That's the problem with coming up with PowerPoint slides. Um, when you change your mind, there's nothing to go with. But that's the thing about when, when you gather, when you gather at the table, when you gather as disciples, you're transformed. Your, life is, your lives are changed. But I think so many times we want to be disciple makers without being 
disciples. A couple months ago, I got my second new car. <laughs> Most of you know my first new car got killed um, in an auto accident, but I got my second new car. It's a hybrid. I am not going to take it to the corner mechanics shop that has not studied how to work on hybrid cars. I want somebody who is good at hybrid cars to work on my car. I want disciples to teach disciples. And how do we become disciples? Well, this whole series is about it. We gather around the table. Gee, that one's hard. We gather in fellowship. We struggle with that one. Most of the time, in especially our evening meetings, somehow we finish at 7, but I don't get home until 10, and I only live five minutes away. It's the other person's fault. We love fellowship. But we also gather literally, I believe, at the foot of Christ for study. Because you see, I believe with all of my heart and soul that where two people gather, and that could be me in Scripture, but I believe it's more effective when it's me and somebody else and maybe me and somebody else's. That's not a word, but you know, you're with me. Reading, studying, interpreting, we become better disciples. It's hard to do it without the book. There was a boy who left for his freshman year at Duke University, there's the story says. His parents gave him a Bible, assuring him that it would be of great help. Later, as he began sending them letters asking for money, they would write back telling him to read his Bible, stating specific chapters and verses. He would reply that he was reading his Bible, but he still needed money. When he came home for the semester break, his parents told him that they knew that he had been, excuse me, his parents told him that they would know if he had been reading the Bible, and actually they knew that he had not. He said, how? He said, well, we tucked 10 and $20 bills by the verses that we told you to read. Hmm. If you got anybody going to college, give it a try. <laughs> In Acts, chapter 2, verse 42 and 43, Scripture tells us, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And, and, and we've heard that a lot of times. I, I know we've heard that like five or six times. But I want you to hear verse 43. Verse 43 says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. See, we get, we get stuck sometimes on listening to half of the story, and we forget the other part of it. It's not just that they gathered and did all of that great stuff. They had great meals. They had great conversations. They had great prayers. But God showed up. 
God showed up and blessed them and they, God blessed them in ways that they never experienced because you don't have all if you've seen it before. I remember the first time standing up at the top of a mountain in Israel looking down over the city. I had seen pictures, but I have never been so awestruck in my life as literally everything that I had been taught suddenly flashed in front of me. I'll never forget the first time I went to the Grand Canyon and I I, I knew it was a big hole in the ground and I was like, gee, we're traveling all this far with kids for a big hole in the ground. But my Lord, the, 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 the majesty and the, and the amazingness of that, to think that that is something that God could create, wasn't an accident. These people came together and they were taught by the apostles and they, and they learned what the apostles said and they began to teach others what the apostles were saying. And they were in awe. Many were in awe because they saw God break loose and share the amazing miracles that God shares when the people of God show up. So what is it they taught? They learned. Today, we call it canon, scripture, Bible, holy word. It has a lot of different names. But we'll use the word scripture. The teaching of the apostles as it is recorded in scripture. There are a lot of people that don't use scripture because they said, well, it was written by somebody. Yeah, everything is written by somebody. <laughs> but God's word, my friends, is inspired and perfect, I believe. Second Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, is, all scripture is inspired by God, and it is useful for teaching us what is true and making us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do or that which is right. A friend of mine, George Kohler, revised something called the Methodist Members Handbook some years ago. And he began to talk about what Scripture was, what the Bible was. And he describes it in a very interesting way for me. He first says that it's a library. Now, I never thought about Scripture being a library, a book being a library. But in reality, the Bible is a collection, he said, of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, 27 in the New Testament. These books were written over a 1,000-year period in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The books are different lengths. Some are sermons, some are prophetic um, writings, some are poetic dreams. In the New Testament, there's gospels, there's history, there's letters. 
There's the Apocalypse, uh, the book of Revelation. Yet through it all, the Bible is one story of an almighty, loving, giving, caring God who stands in covenant relationship with God's people. So as we look at the whole collection, you know, somebody said, oh, I read the chapter, a chapter of the Bible, of that book. <laughs> Do you want to be a little more specific? <laughs> well, a chapter in Luke. Okay, the book of Luke. Now, what, where are we? And what, this is too confusing. Actually, it's not. If we understand that it is kind of a library, a collection of, of books that tell a single story not too different than the story that faithful Jews tell every year at Passover. It's a story of a God who provides protection, love for God's people. Secondly, he says that it is sacred scripture. In the early times, over many generations, these 66 books were faithfully used by faithful people. In that process, their merits were weighed and the community of believers finally gave them specific authority. Tested by faith, proven by experience, these books have become sacred. They have become a rule of faith for us. You see, we just don't simply believe that these dudes primarily, came up with this amazing story and just put it in something we call the Bible. We choose to believe that the Holy Spirit guided and directed each person who wrote and each person who, who came together to form what we call the canon. And that through the work of the Holy Spirit, it does become sacred text, a holy story of a holy God who fully and totally loves us and cares for us. George also says that it is God speaking to us about salvation. We say that God speaks to us through the Bible and it contains all things necessary for salvation. That's what we believe as United Methodists. That's what we affirm. We hold that the writers of the Bible were inspired by God, that, that, the, that God was at work in the process of, of bringing it together, that the Holy Spirit works through those writings even today. Steph made an interesting statement and it just tweaked my mind again when she said that, that she has gone through some of the stuff and that especially in that first unit it's spoken to her in a new way. The gospel, the Bible is a living document. I don't mean it has a pulse. I don't mean that it's breathing. But it is living because of the work of the Holy Spirit in yours and my life. It, it, it causes us to see and, and to hear the words that are printed in that, in that canon, in that Holy Scripture. It causes us to hear it in a new way. I don't know that there has ever been a time that I have read Scripture that I haven't heard God speak to me in a different way. 
It is our guide to faith and life. We United Methodists put the Bible to work. In congregational worship, George says, we read the Bible. Through preaching, we interpret its message for our lives. It forms the background from most of our hymns and all of our liturgy. It's the foundation of our church school curriculum. Many of us use it for individual devotion, praying through its implications day after day. However, we admit that even today, George said, there is vast Bible illiteracy. We need to help one another open the Bible and use it. How do we know how to live? Do we follow the norms? Do we follow whatever feels good? Well, that's pretty much a recipe for disaster. Because many times, my friends, what Scripture calls us to do and who Scripture calls us to be in many ways is countercultural to what's happening outside of our world, in our world. We are called to be lights and beacons in a world of darkness, the Scripture says. We are called to carry the light of Christ. But how can we carry that light if we ain't got it? (laughs) It guides us and directs us in the paths that we need to walk. God's Word should inform our thoughts and our actions. God's Word should be intricately a part of every moment that we live, everything that we do, everything that we say. And the interesting thing is is that we hear God's Word, and maybe, okay, so I'm going to take a risk at this. Maybe I'm crazy. Not a word. Not a word. (laughs) Maybe I'm crazy. Hey, watch it. But I hear God's Word in some of the business books that I read. I mean, they're not quoting Scripture, but as I read this book, I'm going, gee, somebody else had a better had that idea about 2,000 years ago. As we embody study of Scripture... It truly becomes part of who we are. It becomes our DNA. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive. We talked about that and active. Sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It is able to judge the thought and the intentions of the heart. You see, I believe that we will all be judged one day. We will all be judged for what we did and what we didn't do, for what we said and what we didn't say, for how we acted and what we, how we didn't act. We call them sins of omission, sins of commission. And when we get to heaven, we are not going to be able to look at God and say, well, I didn't know that because I think the response from God will be, well, I gave you the book. Now, the good news is, As we study, 
we learn and we choose to live out what we learn. But hear me, hear me clearly. We still have a God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. So that when we, using John Wesley's word, make a mistake, his word for sin, he is faithful to forgive us. So as we read and we don't do what we're supposed to do, God is still there to forgive us and offer us salvation. So all of this being said, simply put, God's word should be studied. It should be studied daily. It should be part of of who we are and, and, and what we do. You can pray God's Word in study. You can study God's Word in study. I, I am the worst about this sometimes, and I'll admit it. I am in like five small groups right now, and we study Scripture. But, but that's not necessarily every day. So two things that I've done to kind of tech up my, my study in the Word the first thing that happens in the morning, I say good morning to Alexa. And when I say good morning to Alexa, no, I know she's not real. I get it. But when I say good morning to Alexa, she begins to read the next chapter of Scripture to me. It's something that I've programmed to happen so that every morning when I wake up, I hear a chapter of Scripture. So I'm kind of reading through the Bible Alexa style. (laughs) One chapter at a time. And then every day coming back from work. I I I I work in Midtown. And people are back working again. So it means that my 20 minute commute to work can actually mean an hour commute home. And the way that I stay sane is I play scripture coming home. So I can be in varieties of different places because I follow different schedules for both. But it's almost like being just washed over by the Word of God. We need to have quality study in that though, folks. We need to spend quality time. But more than just the time, We need to be involved in small groups where we can not only hear the word but begin to interpret the word for each other. To to hear the Spirit of God in us speak to others and to hear the Spirit of God in others speak to us. To give us those aha moments. So I want to conclude with just a very, very quick question. And it's going to sound really, really stupid. But it's a question. How can we stand on the Word of God? It says that the early apostle, or the early church gathered for teaching of the apostles, for fellowship, for food, for prayer. How can we do that? Well, we eat well. We pray okay. We fellowship really well. We just need, if we're going to stand on the Scripture, we need to be in the Scripture. And as we are in the Scripture, 
God will use what we hear and what we study to keep us on the path that God wants us to be. May it be so. I am blessed because 30 plus years ago, actually 55 years ago, I was born to a Jewish mama and a Pentecostal daddy that both of them spent time in their scriptures. Mom, mostly early on in her life in Torah, Old Testament. Dad, a lot of time in the New Testament. But they made us sit. And yeah, early on it was made. They made us sit and hear the teachings. And I believe that I have gone astray a few times in my journey. But I believe it was because God's word was planted in my heart. I never went so far, provenient grace, that God wasn't there to catch me. And brought me back to a place where I can be in ministry again. Study. 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 Together, individually, in church. Oh, can I get rid of one other lie that people have said throughout history? And that was that the only person that could interpret Scripture was the pastor. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> you did hear me with when I said it was a lie, right? Okay. Don't go home and say the pa- Pastor Rick said that the only people that could interpret Scripture is the pastor. No, I did not say that. I said it was a lie. God has equipped each one of you if with nothing else but the Holy Spirit to be able to interpret and hear and understand. Go be the church. Go be disciple makers. But be disciples. Amen.
Today's reading, uh, Psalm 37, verses 1 through 7. Don't get upset over evildoers. Don't be jealous of those who do wrong, because they will fade fast like grass. They will wither like green vegetables. Trust the Lord and do good. Live in the land and farm faithfulness. Enjoy the Lord, and he will give you what your heart asks. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. He will act and will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like high noon. Be still before the Lord and wait for him. Don't get upset when someone gets ahead, someone who invents evil schemes. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My dad said one time, when I told him that I was going to church, I didn't need to read the Bible. I was going to church. I was going to Sunday school, and I was doing all of that stuff. He said, going to church doesn't make you any more than a disciple, than swimming makes you a fish. Some truth in that, I think. Lay it all down, my friends. Lay it down at the feet of Christ. Soak in his word. Soak in his word through the scriptures, but also through the the sharing of God's word with others in small groups and and in larger groups. But, but, But be involved. Be grounded on the sure foundation, which is God's word through study. And know that God will give you everything you need through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, may the grace and peace of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you, guide you, direct you, speak to you, and cause you to do good in this world. In all that you do, go in peace. Amen. Thank you.